It's great to be here. Uh, we have enjoyed our time here over the last several weeks. And um, please be praying for us. We'll be praying for you as the church uh, is seeking uh, another pastor. Pray for the leadership here. I hope you pray regularly for the leadership here, that God will give them wisdom and discernment and uh, as the church moves forward. But uh, we would appreciate your prayer for us. Uh, Leslie and I will leave here tomorrow morning. We are going to spend a couple of days with my son up in San Bruno, and then we are heading back to Arizona. We get back on Thursday night. Friday, I've got a board meeting for our college and seminary. Saturday, we have an event for the college. Sunday, we are commissioning a new missionary. It's going to Tajikistan and uh, sending them out. Uh, which is an interesting, just that's a whole different, interesting subject in itself. Uh, we have three days before to get everything packed, figured out what we're doing before we head off to Asia. And then uh, we will be in the Philippines for a week, uh, Hong Kong for a week, Singapore for several days. Uh, so appreciate your prayer for us. It's going to be a very, very busy time. Uh, and then I won't tell you everything else we're doing. Come back and all the rest of our uh, gatherings. But we are pretty much very, very busy, really, uh, all the way, really, right now through the end of August and early September. So pray for us as we travel, that God will continue to give us good health, and the Lord will bless the Word of God as it, as it goes forth and as we minister to our missionaries and in many of these countries uh, around, around the world. We'll be praying for you, trusting that God's going to bring, we know God has just the right man for this church uh, in the years ahead. So... We're excited to see what God is going to do, and we know that he's going to do that. Just continue to be faithful and uh, trust and wait upon the Lord. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, the importance of waiting on the Lord. But I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, chapter 3. We sing the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, it's a favorite of a lot of people. For, for good reason. It's a great, it's a great um, hymn that declares the faithfulness, the trustworthiness of the God that we serve. And that text, that, that, that song, the hymn, comes uh, based on the, our text here in Lamentations chapter 3. And we're going to read beginning at verse 22 and read through verse 26. Uh, from our text this morning. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer, shall we, as we begin this morning. Father, I just pray that you will help our hearts to be focused upon your word and the truth that your word presents this morning. Help us, Lord, to take great comfort and great peace in the reality of your faithfulness. Lord, even your word tells us when, when we are faithless, you remain faithful. 
because you cannot contradict yourself. And Father, we just pray that we would understand the hope that is ours uh, in the faithfulness of our God. Help us, Lord, to learn to seek you, to wait upon you, to trust you, knowing that you will be faithful to us. I pray that you will just bless your word as it goes forth this morning. We, you know the need of every heart. I pray that you will prevent distractions. I pray that you will just keep Satan from causing our minds to wander. I pray, Lord, that you will just give open uh, hearts to your word. And I pray that the Spirit of God would just uh, empower and fill uh, me as I seek to uh, proclaim your word today. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The book of Lamentations, as it implies, is a book of weeping. Lamenting is a weeping. It's Jeremiah's lamenting, his weeping for the people of God, Israel, whose nation had been destroyed. Uh, 586 B.C., uh, Jerusalem, as, uh, and it's all of its beauty, was, was finally destroyed uh, completely. Uh, the temple destroyed, torn down. Uh, the people taken away captive. And Jeremiah, the prophet, writes this lamentation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to soberly acknowledge the great price of their sin and to, and, and to weep over what had happened to the people of God. Uh, in the book of Lamentations, he describes the condition of Jerusalem. Let me just read you a couple of of verses here, a couple of passages in, in uh, the beginning of the book of Lamentations, verse chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. He describes how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow is she who was great among the nations, the princess among the provinces. She, she has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to set feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted. And she is in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy. I'll stop there, but we can read on and on through several chapters here describing the great, the sad condition um, of, of the children of Israel. Uh, verse 17 of chapter 2, one other verse I will add here. Jeremiah writes, The Lord has done what he purposed. He has fulfilled his word, which he commanded in days of old. He has thrown down and has not pitied. He has caused an enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the horn of your adversaries. In other words, God has done what he said he would do. All throughout the Old Testament, God warned his people, if you obey me, if you keep my word, I will do all these wonderful things for you. I will bless you. I will multiply you. I will, do, I will protect you. But if you do not heed my commandments, if you ignore my word, then he tells them all these terrible things that are going to happen. And, and Lamentations is written after all this has happened, lamenting all that had taken place. 
And in spite of all of this, though, Jeremiah speaks of hope uh, for, for all of Israel. Uh, when we think about the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, it, it, it's hard to comprehend the devastation that the people faced uh, during that time. Uh, I've been to Jerusalem. I've been at the foot of the Temple Mount, and you see the great boulders, the stones of the temple that had been pushed down on the ground around the temple. There's just rubbish. There's, there's, there's stones. There's just it's amazing to think that these huge stones once stood as a part of the temple, or part of the temple, temple uh, building and, and, the, and the associated buildings around them. But all that was, was leveled by the, by, by the armies um, when they came in and destroyed Jerusalem. The people were taken away captive. The, the once the city that was the beauty, the people who took great pride in their relationship with God uh, was all gone. It was devastated. But Jeremiah knew what God had revealed to him uh, back in chapter 31 of, of the book of Jeremiah. He, he understood that there were going to be 70 years of captivity. And he, Jeremiah writes that. He, he, he proclaims that. That's last week we, we referenced Isaiah's uh, understanding of that because he read what Jeremiah had written, and he understood that there were 70 years of captivity, and, and, and Daniel understood that. That's uh, part of Daniel's prophecy. And he understood that God was going to restore the people back to their land again. And in chapter 31 of, of uh, Jeremiah, God says, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then he speaks of the days when he will put his law in their minds. He will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And these are all the things that Jeremiah is remembering when he says in Jeremiah 3, verse 21, which we did not read. But he says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. And then the passage that we read, it's of the Lord's mercies. We are not consumed. It's in the midst of great trials and great sorrow that Jeremiah can have hope because of the truth of God's faithfulness. I think if we had time this morning to share testimonies, those of you who have been saved for a number of years, you can look back on and recall how God's mercies have been revealed to you over and over again. Sometimes we don't always see them as much when we're going through them. We're going through a trial, a difficulty. But when we look back, we see how God took us through that, how God protected us, how God preserved us in a time that we didn't know what, what was going to happen. Uh, you know, all of us have been through times where we weren't sure exactly what was going to take place, what we were going to do. Um, and that's, oh, it doesn't always have to be evil things, difficult things. You know, when, when Leslie and I, 15, 16 years ago, felt that the Lord was directing us into missions, um, I didn't know everything that was going to happen. I mean, we weren't really quite sure how everything was going to work. We just knew that this was the burden God had put on our heart, and this was the way God was leading us, and 
I told someone recently, every decision I've ever made about ministry, I, I have known beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has, is directing me and that, that, is, that I, am, I am in God's will. And though we did not understand exactly how God was going to work everything out, how all the details were going to work out, we just we trusted that God was faithful. He who has called you will perform it. He will do it. He will. God is faithful. And so I look back 15, 16 years ago, and I, I look back with those 15, and I see how God has incredibly provided and in taken care of us. Just I'll give you just one little story that, that just... To this day, amazes me. At that time, my son Taylor was going into third grade. And it's hard to believe now. He's 6'4", and I won't tell you how many pounds, but he's a big guy. And, um, but he was in third grade. And we knew as we had to do some a lot of travel that it was going to be easy for us, easier if we could homeschool him while we were on the road. But it's kind of difficult when you're traveling around, you're staying in people's homes all the time, and you know they want to talk, and, and it's just it's really hard to do that. So, <coughs> my predecessor, Dr. Sproul, said it would be really great if you guys would get a some type of RV or a trailer to pull, and that will you know then you could be able to stay together as a family, and you can do the homeschooling and, and while while you're on the road. And so we began to look around for a trailer. And we looked, and we, we finally found a, a dealership that had this trailer. They had like 10 of these trailers that some deal had, had, you know, they had bought all these for some type of special company or whatever, and then the company had backed out of it. So they were selling these at just a, you know, really cheap price, really big discount. And I think it was a Saturday, we were looking at these, and we almost decided to buy one. I just felt like, no, just not yet. I didn't have any peace about buying it. So we said, well, we'll come back on Monday, and we'll see, maybe Monday or Tuesday, and, and if they're still, all still here, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll buy one. Well, that Monday morning, the office of the mission board got a phone call. And it was a lady on the line, and she said, could anyone there use a motorhome? And um, Dr. Sproul said, well, yeah, actually, we do have someone right now who's looking to try to find a motorhome. And, and well, she says, my, my husband and I bought this motorhome a couple years ago. It's almost brand new, but a year after we bought it, he died. And so I don't like to drive it. My kids don't want it. We just have it sitting in the um, storage lot, uh, you know, at our housing complex. And if someone could use it, we would just love to let them use it. All they have to do is pay for the gas and, and uh, the insurance, and they'll take care of everything else for it. So he told me that, so I, I, I went out. I, I decided to go out and check on it. And one of our men on staff who grew up in a motorhome because his dad was an evangelist said, this is just too good to be true. I said, well, you come with me because you know all about these things, and, and and so he told me later, he says, I thought I was going to have to tell you, run away as fast as you can from this, because this, this just does not sound right. So we went out, we looked at it, and sure enough, here was a motorhome. They still had plastic on the carpet. And um, it had like, I don't know, 5,000 miles on it, something like that. It was in perfect, pristine condition. And my friend, he got underneath it. He looked at it. He looked under the hood. He checked everything out. 
And I thought he was going to come back and say, you know, give me a little signal, no, no, don't do this, don't do this. And he looked at me and says, yeah, take it. This is great, this is great. And so we used that for the first year that we were uh, on the road a lot. And, well, and, and it, it was perfect. It was exactly what we needed for the time period that we needed it. The interesting thing is, in 40 years, 40 plus years now of the mission board, actually almost 50 years of the mission board now, no one has ever called our office asking to loan someone a motorhome, except for that weekend that we were looking to get one. Now, the world would call that a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. That's the direction and providence of God. And I can tell you story after story after story like that as we have gone through the last 15 years of how God has provided for me, for those under our mission board, uh, in ways that, that just sometimes just completely blow your mind. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful to us. He, he watches over his children, and he has provided for us. He will provide for you. He takes care of us. And again, if we had the time this morning just to give testimonies, I think most of us in here could share testimonies of how God has proven his faithfulness to you over the years. So our hope is found in the faithfulness of God. But what I want you to see this morning as we look at these verses, verses 22 through verse 25, I want us to see how God evidences his faithfulness. How, how does God demonstrate that faithfulness? to us. And the first way he does that is evidenced by his mercy. Verse 22 says that it is through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. His mercy. The word for mercy here is the Hebrew word hased, which speaks of his great covenant love and loyalty of the Lord. Uh, one of Some of you remember Dr. Tetro who was the founder of International Baptist College. He's now with the Lord. But uh, Dr. Tetro loved language, and he loved words. And he, he, he loved the Hebrew language. Uh, he would read his Hebrew Bible on a, um, um, what do you call it? Um, yeah, exercise machine, anyway. Uh, treadmill, that's what I'm trying to think of. Treadmill, every morning, you know, four or five in the morning, uh, he would be up reading his Hebrew Bible. He'd have his Hebrew Bible sitting there as he's on his treadmill getting his exercise in for the day. And he used to always talk about this word, said, God's mercy. It is such a rich word that speaks of this great love and compassion of God for us, his steadfast love. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, that we have, not been, that we have been spared. We have not been destroyed. Israel, even though they were in captivity, they had, they had been spared. They were going to be restored once again as a nation. And the idea is that God's mercy is, his, is the withholding of his judgment that is deserved. Exodus 20, verse 6 says that he shows mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. The place of atonement in the tabernacle and temple was called the mercy seat. Because that is where God atoned for the sin of his people. Uh, Exodus 34 says he keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression. First Chronicles says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 90, uh, 59, 16 says, I will sing aloud of your mercy. 
you know, oftentimes as, as Christians today, living in here in the United States, being blessed with so much around us, we, we forget how merciful God has been to not give us what we deserve. You hear people say, I just want what I deserve. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's of God's mercy we have been preserved. It is because of God's mercy that he, is, he, he manifests to us. And it says, he, we, we, the, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. I have no right to stand before a holy God. I have no right to be forgiven. <coughs> I have no right to, to be made his child, to be born into God's family. But God in his mercy has saved us. God in his mercy and his steadfast love has redeemed us. So he shows his faithfulness and his mercy. Secondly, he evidences his faithfulness by his compassion to you. His compassion never faileth. His compassions failed not. The word compassion comes from a word that has a relationship to the womb. It, it speaks of the feeling of those born from the same womb, a motherly feeling or a brotherly compassion. His compassions towards us do not fail. And in fact, those compassions are, are refreshed, are renewed every morning. That's what leads the writer here to say, Jeremiah, to say, great is thy faithfulness. Why? Because his mercies and his compassions are renewed to us, are, 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 are given to us every day. Every morning when we awake, we awake to a day that's fresh with God's mercy and compassion all around us. Whether you awaken to the sunshine as you did this morning, or to the refreshing rain from heaven, or to snow which may blanket the earth, each and every day is fresh, and renewed with the mercies and compassions of God. We just don't think about that many times. That, that his, his mercy has been, been shown, his compassion has been given to us, revealed to us every day. If it were not for his compassion and mercy, we would not be here. If God dealt with us in anger rather than mercy and compassion, uh, we will be destroyed. But the Lord is my portion, the psalmist said. The Lord is my portion. He is all I need. All I need is Christ. All I need is the Lord because his compassions do not fail. His compassions do not cease. Thirdly, God evidences his faithfulness by the reality of his goodness. His goodness. He says, the Lord's mercies are not consumed because of his compassion. They fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The term goodness escapes uh, the modern reader. Uh, it, it has the idea of that which is good, not just for our purposes, for our pleasure, but what is good ultimately in the purpose and plan of God. Verse 26 or 25, he says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good 
that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Good does not mean, and goodness does not mean, it's always what makes me happiest, what makes me feel the best. Uh, to us, we, we tend to cons- conform our concept of good, good as that which benefits us. <coughs> but the idea, the use of the word here is that it expresses God's will and purpose. What is good is what is in agreement with God's perfect will. Romans 8, 28 says, All things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. doesn't mean that it's always the most convenient or the easiest or what makes us feel the most, the best. It's what is right and what conforms us to the plan and, and, and purpose of God. And I love the promises, the statement here, when it says that he is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good that we learn to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good to bear the yoke in our youth. The Lord is good. We are told to wait on him, to seek him, to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, even to the point of bearing his yoke, a burden in our youth. You know, verse 37 asks the question, who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Why should a living man complain, a man, for the punishment of his sins? God has a plan in all this. And we are to trust him, we are to seek him, we are to look for him. Because God always knows what is best. That's why we need to learn to wait upon the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, I am not a good good at waiting. I like to know what I'm going to do. I like to know it in advance. I like to have it now. Okay. Uh, yesterday is too slow. Uh, I want it. I, I want. I, I. But so many times the Lord just delays his answer to prayer, delays giving us wisdom on the decisions we need to make. <coughs> he delays in making things clear to us because he wants us to wait on him. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to depend upon him. The essence of waiting, waiting on the Lord does not mean I sit and do nothing. It means I'm busy in service and busy worshiping him and praising him but I am depending upon him. I'm not moving forward until I know that God has made my path clear. We wait on the Lord. He is good to those who wait for him. Many times in my life, I thought I knew what was best for me. Uh, and then, But as I waited on the Lord, I often saw something that I had not seen before and realized that God in his infinite wisdom it kept me from making a great mistake. Consequences of, you know, some of the, some of the things that happened during, during COVID and, and, and were, were very frustrating for me. Um, we had several things planned right as COVID broke out. Uh, one of the things that probably most disappointed me was that my two sons, Christopher, had been going regularly to China 
since he had been over there. And he had been asked to do camps and run camps in China. And he was working with believers over there. And God had given them some, some great opportunities. And uh, they came to him, one of the pastors in the Shanghai area, said, we have a, a group of Christians uh, who are teaching in public schools, in the, in, the, in the school system, and they want to use sports, athletics, as a tool to reach people with the gospel. So he said, um, we want to put together a camp. We want to do it like a basketball camp, a training for Individuals, these are both men and women who will be teaching basketball in high schools and maybe teens, because basketball is a big sport in China. And um, could you come over and lead that team? And you can, you can minister to these coaches, these would-be coaches, and, and, and help preach to them. And then could you bring somebody who knows basketball? And maybe, you know, maybe a coach, maybe someone in the NCAA who can come. So Christopher was planning on this, had a lot of work out. He thought about it, thought about it. He couldn't find, asked around, couldn't find any coaches who were willing to come or available to come. He said, well, my, my younger brother plays basketball. It's an NCAA, uh, it's a Division three team, but it's NCAA. And he knows basketball, that's for sure. Um, would you be interested in him coming? And they said, oh, that'd be great. So my two sons were going to go to China uh, to lead this basketball camp. And Taylor was all excited about it. He had gotten all these basketball, these plays, the devotions their teams at Maranatha used. He was going to be using those and teaching those over there to these teachers and giving this to them. He actually sent it over to have it translated in Mandarin. It had gone that far. And then COVID hit. And of course, the first First place you didn't go was China, okay? And that was off the list, first of all. Then we had two mission teams scheduled that summer. We had one going to Kenya, and we had one going to the Philippines. And the one in the Philippines I was, again, really excited about because we were going to do a basketball team again. Basketball is a huge sport in the Philippines, even bigger than China. And so we realized that you go out on a basketball court, we've done this before, and just... Someone stand there and dribble a basketball, and you will have a couple hundred kids surrounding you probably in five minutes. So to do a basketball camp was, was great. We could go, we could, we, we could do this camp, and we could then give the gospel every day to these hundreds of young people, which we knew would come. And we even had the idea, we had enough guys to put together a team. We were going to do it, compete with different local teams and stuff. And, and draw huge crowds, and this is going to reach hundreds of people. We just knew it. it was going to be great. That got canceled. And, you know, it's just like, Lord, why? And we don't know all the reasons, but we know that the Lord is good and that he is good to those who wait for him. And the one thing I do know is that even though we weren't able to have a part in those ministries, those ministries have still flourished in incredible ways without our attempts at helping. It wasn't, for whatever reason, God did not allow our team to go. But we can trust in his goodness and his mercy and his compassion. And we can, we can depend upon him. And sometimes we, we want to push our way ahead. We want to force our way into something. We want to, to just barrel ahead. 
And God is just saying, wait, I have something far better for you. I have something that you had never even thought about. It's an important point for all of us personally to learn to wait for the Lord. I would encourage you as a church, I would encourage your leadership here and pray for your leadership here that as they seek a pastor, they will wait upon the Lord. Having God's leading, knowing God is directing, not rushing into something because, oh, we're desperate at this time, and, you know, that's a great danger when churches are without a pastor. Wait on the Lord. And part of that reason he may not provide someone for you right away is he wants you, he wants you to seek him. He wants you to spend time in prayer uh, more so than you might normally do. He wants to drive you to your knees. He wants to, to strengthen you as a church body so that when his time is right, he will put the right person there that will be a blessing and a help. But you rush ahead, you put yourself in danger of being outside of his, his will. So wait upon the Lord because he is good to those who wait upon him. And God, again, demonstrates his faithfulness in his mercies and his compassion and his goodness. But it's also evidenced by his forgiveness. The Lord does not cast off forever. Uh, verses 20, begin at verse 27. We didn't read this, these verses. Start, start at verse uh, 28. It says, let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that there may be hope. <coughs> Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be a full reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, he will, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. This is written by Jeremiah at a time that the nation has been taken captive, they're in captivity, they're suffering, they're struggling, it seems as though there's no hope. And he is saying, you know, God, because of his mercy, will not cast off forever. Why? Because he is a God who forgives. He is willing to forgive, even though now he may have to bring grief. He will show compassion and does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. He does not desire to crush us under his feet. There is forgiveness with the Lord. Forgiveness is one of the many mercies he displays day by day. God does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. And yet many times we are faced with affliction. Scripture tells us of men and women who committed terrible sins. And when they came back to the Lord, they were forgiven. God's holiness and mercy have met in Christ. Mercy and truth, the psalmist said, have met together. And righteousness and peace have kissed. The fact is that God is a forgiving God. And he has forgiven the sins of anyone here. That he, that he would forgive the sins of anyone here is quite remarkable. That he forgives all who come to him is astounding. Mercy and truth meet together on the cross when Jesus, the perfect sinless Lamb of God, was willing to be slain. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins to satisfy the justice and wrath of a holy God for the sins of mankind. God met the demands of God's justice and righteousness through his death. 
but he also demonstrated to us his forgiveness and provided to us forgiveness. I wonder, you know, sometimes we, we stray from God. We allow sin to accumulate in our life. And, and we, get our, we become a little hardened against God and we fail to seek forgiveness. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to be willing to keep short accounts with God, to seek his forgiveness, to realize that, that he wants us to be cleansed. He wants us to, to be pure, to be righteous before him, and he's willing to forgive us if we will come and, and seek his forgiveness. He is faithful to forgive and then finally, God's faithfulness is seen in his response to us. Verse 37 of chapter 3 says, Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded? It is, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us each search and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us search out, he says, and examine our ways. Why? Because God is a God who is merciful, compassionate, good, forgiving, faithful. We are exhorted to, to respond to God because he will respond in turn to us. As the prophet Malachi said to the people of God, consider your ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to heaven. We are exhorted and encouraged to turn our hearts back to him because he will forgive and he will restore us. The whole idea of lifting up our hearts and hands to the Lord is an act of prayer and worship. He asks us to be willing to receive uh, he, he asks us as he is willing to receive our praise and to answer our prayers and to restore us back to the place of fellowship with him. Again, as I said at the beginning, even though we are not faithful to him, he says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Every day we demonstrate our unworthiness to serve our God. Which of us can come in here this morning with such a spirit and boast that God is indebted to us? You know, when we come on a Sunday morning, we come, actually it's the beginning of a week, but, but we come after a week of going through all sorts of issues and trials. Could have been at work, could have been in your family. Issues that you struggle with. Our spirit becomes grieved. Uh, we sin, we get angry, we lie, we aren't always truthful as we should be, uh, we, we fail to live up to the standards that we know God has set for us, and we come in many times feeling like we are just so unworthy, so unworthy. Many times people don't come to church for that very reason. I don't, I don't want to go pretend I'm something I'm not. Uh, I, I don't want to come in and, and just 
you know, play, play a role or pretend I'm something and, you know, that's not true. I, I, I'm, we tend to recognize our unworthiness before a holy God. We tend to be burdened by that. I mean, sin does burden us. Even though people may act very cavalier about their sin and, and uh, you know, may with their mouth, you know, talk about not being bothered by their sin. Oh, this is not sin. I can do what I want to do. You know, they may go on and on about how they don't need God. They don't need his forgiveness. They don't need his cleansing. I'm not a sinner. Yet the reality is people are burdened by their sin. Even though they may not know exactly what to call it, they may not understand why they are so burdened. They just know that I failed. I've, I've not been a faithful husband. I've not been a faithful wife. I've, I've not been a good employee at work. I've, I've been, I, I cheated my friend. I, I did this. I did that. <coughs> I've thought unjustly about people. People are burdened with the weight and cares of sin. And yet, God offers forgiveness. He is faithful to respond to us if we will turn to him. He says here, it is, we should turn, we should seek the Lord. We should examine our ways. We should turn back to him. And though we are so unworthy, God proves over and over again that he is faithful to us. If we were to move the, the time clock a little bit forward here from the book of Lamentations, we would find, as you read through the Old Testament, you, you, you find that at the end of the 70 years, yes, a decree does go forth that the children of Israel can return to Jerusalem that they can begin to rebuild the city, that they can begin to rebuild the temple. We go forward even to the time of Christ. We find that the children of Israel are living in the land of Israel. The Messiah comes. Of course, they reject him. And so now we look forward to his return. But even today, God has drawn back his people into the land of Israel. It's an amazing thing. I just read, I referenced a couple weeks ago, a book I read talking about the life, the history of this young boy who was a Jewish young boy who was raised in Poland and went through the Holocaust and his whole, the whole story of how he, he uh, survived all of that and how he ended up going to Israel and then it was there in Israel that he found, out, found Christ and has had a ministry of reaching Jews for, for Christ uh, for the rest of his life. But he talks about how he was just so drawn to go back to Israel and how many of the Jews by the millions have been drawn to go back to their land because God is faithful. And because we know God has been faithful in the past, we know God will be faithful in the future. And we know that ultimately when, when, when the Son of God comes and and. and comes for his church and takes us, takes his bride to be home with him, that we will be with him and, and serve him and live with him forever. But God will still not forget his people because there will come a time when he will establish his kingdom on this earth. And there will be a time when he will create a new heavens and a new earth 
and we will enjoy fellowship him forever. And even though we look through, as the Bible says, through a glass darkly, we know that he will keep his word because he is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Because he keeps his word. He demonstrates, demonstrates that faithfulness through his mercies, through his compassions every day, every morning. He renews those compassions to us, demonstrates those compassions to us. Through his goodness to us. Through his willingness to forgive us. And through his willingness to respond to us, to turn to us as we seek him. Great is his faithfulness. I would encourage you as you leave here this morning to be mindful and think about this week the faithfulness of God. Start looking for ways where he has demonstrated his faithfulness to you. It would be a great exercise just on your own. Sometime, maybe when you're having your devotions or just sometime quietly, even this evening, just think through your mind, review in your mind the ways God has demonstrated his faithfulness to you. Things he's kept you from doing. Uh, difficulties that he's brought you through that you maybe probably shouldn't have even survived, but he brought you through. Uh, the ways he has been good to you and demonstrated that goodness time and time again. His willingness to forgive your sins. Even when you've gone back, if you confess your sin, you do the same thing again. He still is faithful to forgive you over and over again. And realize that if you seek him, he will be found. He will respond to you because he's a faithful God. He is a God who remaineth faithful. He cannot deny himself. That's who he is, a faithful God. And so even when we are not faithful, he still remains faithful. I encourage you to trust and rely upon his faithfulness and to praise him for the reality that he is a faithful God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As we bow our heads for prayer and, and before Jeff comes and we, we close the service and song and, and prayer requests, I just challenge you to think about your life and relationship to this faithful God that we serve. We are so unworthy. And, and, and if you're here this morning and you think that you deserve anything he has given you, you are just deceiving yourselves. But God in his mercy and love because he loves us, has sought us, has saved us, has brought us under his care, has forgiven our sins, removed our sins from us. If you've trusted Christ, he's removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. None of that which we deserve, none of that which is in our own doing, God is faithful. I challenge you this morning, as our heads are bowed and eyes closed, just to commit yourself to being faithful to him. We can never match his faithfulness. But because he is faithful, we need to seek him, wait upon him, trust him, depend upon him. Let him be the cornerstone, the foundation of our life, our decisions, 
may everything be, be done because we know he is faithful. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to talk to someone. Speak to me. Someone here will be glad to take the scripture and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven, how you can know you have eternal life. You can settle that issue today. You can go away. Why? Because he's faithful. He will forgive. He will respond if you seek him. So let's, let's this week seek and, and, and attempt to try to be faithful to him by his strength and by his help. Let's be faithful because we know he is faithful to us. Heavenly Father.